all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Twitch, Reddit, at All Bad Things Pod. Join our Facebook, oh, nope, email us at allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group and our Discord. Do all of those things. Yes. <laughs> so day three in a day row. Day three. <laughs> of recording. Yes. yes, we have gotten ahead. And then as soon as I get back, we'll be behind again. <laughs> or not, at least not ahead. <laughs> we won't be as ahead. Yeah, we won't be as ahead, exactly. <sighs> um, I am trying a an NA, non-alcoholic. Well, a, a 0.5%. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, but also, like, kombucha has 0.5% alcohol, so. Uh, non-alcoholic, untitled art, hazy IIPA. I don't know what that IIPA, Imperial IPA, maybe something like that. Probably. Yeah. Do you want to try it? No, might as well. It tastes hoppy. Yeah, it tastes like an IPA. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Um, Don't love it. Yeah, I'm not not the biggest fan of IPAs either. Um, I don't know why. I'll stick to my national local beer. (laughs) Lick lick those envelopes. I will. Um, I don't know why I suddenly thought of it. I thought of, because I'm hoppy. <laughs> Get um, it? Hoppy? Yeah. IPA? Like, like, it's because I'm happy. Yes, yeah. I know. But you guys used to do that song, so maybe that's why. Yes, in the band we did. Yeah. We, we knew to stop. We did it stop. for like a whole summer. We did it for like a season and then had to stop because nothing sounds worse than backup singers going, because I'm happy. <laughs> Because I'm happy. It's like it's the most depressing happy song. <laughs> it kind of is, in a way. Was that a... That was Pharrell Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a terrible Perry song. Perry Pharrell Williams. Perry Pharrell. <clears throat> <laughs> Will Pharrell Williams. Mm. <laughs> All right. So, instead of announcing what this is, I'm actually just going to start the script because then you will know what it is. Okay. Okay. This by the way, comes to us courtesy of listener and faithful stri- script contributor, Stephen. Thank you once again, Stephen. From New Zealand. Yes. Yes. All right. So um, all of the, obviously because this is written by Stephen, all of the first person things from the script are Stephen talking, right? So live life to the fullest because you only get to live it once. The research done to produce this script has come mainly from listening to interviews with people who knew this person and were involved in the music industry at the time. I'm sure some of the tales have grown in the retelling over many years. It's hard to work out exactly what happened, and I'm sure many of these stories are probably apocryphal rather than accurate. Many of the people interviewed had taken drugs at the time of the occurrence, and accounts of the same incident vary depending on who you listen to and what their agenda is. Any ideas? Well, so we're talking about a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about Kurt Cobain. That's a good uh, guess, uh, I would say. Okay. But uh, that's not. Oh, okay. I, I, I'm not sure. You got a letter right, though. On the 23rd of August, 1946, Kathleen Winifred Moon gave birth to a baby oh. at the Central Middlesex Hospital. She and her husband, Alfred Charles Moon, decided to call their little boy... Keith. Keith Moon. This is the story of the death of Keith Moon. Kind of one of the original like metal drummers. Like he was He and I would argue the only real lead drummer in rock and roll. Uh, the Who have one well we'll get yeah, into the Who later. Well, <laughs> Let's we keep will. going. Yeah. Keith uh, had Keith had two sisters. His dad worked as a maintenance mechanic and his mother had a cleaning job. Being working class would have had a huge effect on his options when it came to education. Kit and Alf probably found Keith a bit of a handful. (laughs) 
He was considered hyperactive by his teachers. And we're talking 1946. Nobody's talking about neurodivergence or attention no. deficit or anything. There are still, uh, like, the old-fashioned, like, what you see in, like, a B-horror movie, like, insane asylums at right. this time. Right, yes. Uh-huh. Like, like San- for real. Sanatoriums and, yeah, yeah, all that weird stuff, yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he was, wow. Imagine yeah. what they think of kids today. Oh God. <laughs> and post-war England is not exactly a happy... No, they're, they're, happy place. There's a, there's a reason that the Pharrell Williams song did not come out in 1946. <laughs> exactly. In, in England. <laughs> yeah. Especially in England. Yeah. That's That was a... That whole part of the world was a rough place to grow up at this time. Yes. it Well, it gave us some really great music. Yes, like it did. from the Who, Pink Floyd, the Beatles. Yep. It, it really shaped them all, that's for sure. Bowie, for sure. Yeah, uh-huh. Just basically I mean, name a Black, British Black artist. Black Sabbath, uh-huh. for sure. Very specifically Black Sabbath, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, a lot of the, the paranoid and war pigs and yeah. all that. Because yeah. they came out of the like the like the iron working class. Yes, like the... uh-huh. The steel workers mm-hmm. and the Birmingham. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would have gone to school, a school that was very regimented, and being a free spirit with a wicked sense of humor, he found school a challenge. Corporal punishment would have been normal, and bullying students was an accepted method of education for some teachers. By pouring their derision upon everything, everything we did. did. <laughs> Exploring any origin of how those kids live by the... <laughs> I never knew the lyrics <laughs> to that part. But I told them, pounding, they got home at night, their fat and psychopathic wives would thrash them within inches of their lives. I went to school. Sounds great in the car. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. I went to school in the mid-60s to mid-70s. I remember a teacher that thought that repeatedly poking me on the head with the tip of a pen would help me learn to spell. (laughs) Oh, Oh, Stephen, I'm so sorry. Uh, Yeah, that's, yeah. Or she could have just taught you how to spell. That might have helped. That might have helped. (laughs) I mean... Uh, yeah, poking him in the head, that'll do it. Yeah. But that probably was, like, common knowledge right? in 1946. Right? That was considered, yeah. well... Smack no, him. No, like, this is the 60s and 70s. So oh, that's Steven true. But even, but even yeah. still, like, even by this time, there's, yeah. there's still some corporal punishment oh, yeah. here and there. Oh, yeah. I must have been under 10 years old when that happened. Wow, so he was just in elementary school, a little kid. Peter Townsend, Pete Townsend, who's guitar player, tells a story about... This is... This is absolutely off the wall about how he was undressed and spanked while leaning over a bathtub in front of a group of his female classmates oh fuck uh, you're never getting over that when you say you know that how people claim that um teachers are groomers no this this is the shit yeah, that's some sick shit <laughs> and that's not what's happening now that's what happened ages and ages ago and like they oh, are, they are all awful. scarred for life even mm-hmm. though even the girls mm-hmm. and you know what because that's the point yeah right is to like traumatize them mm-hmm. yeah which is horrific yeah let's give our future children like fucking PTSD. Uh, par- paranoid fucking delusions. Right. Fucking... But they will write some really good music as a result. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Literally Jesus. Yeah. Like, like, please. Please come back. I mean, really. Right? I want to I see it. Yes. <laughs> at this point. Like, do something about these people. Pete was born to a middle class family. Keith Moon was working class. His teachers would not have hesitated to make a hyperactive kid's life misery. Keith left school and trained as a radio repairman. Sure. Good trade. Accounts vary, well, for a period of time. <laughs> for that period of time, it would have been uh, a good trade. Pretty much up until the end of the century. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. He could have retired by then. And even now, it's probably like a niche thing that people can do. Hey, you know? somehow sewing machine and vacuum repair yeah. shops managed to stay open. Yeah. Like, that's that. talk about a niche, yeah. you know. Um, accounts vary about how old he was when he left school, but he probably would have been only 12 to 14 years old. Yeah. He was really young. Though Keith learned the bugle early on, it wasn't long before he found a new love in playing the drums. And there's a very dark side of Keith Moon, very dark side of the moon, <laughs> that I will deal with early in the podcast. Uh, I, I kind of remember this or hearing about this. So Keith married young. After getting his girlfriend, Kim Kerrigan, pregnant. <laughs> Isn't that just the story of so many marriages back then? It's or like, now, even. Yes. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Yeah, so many 
kids had parents for a short amount of time. They're like, well, I guess we got to get married. It's just awful. Uh, yeah. Keith was just 20 and Kim was two years younger. So they were 18 and 20. They called their daughter Amanda. Keith wasn't a good father and he was a worse husband. He got easily bored and Amanda doesn't have many fond memories of life with him. He got very jealous and had a bad temper. Keith broke Kim's nose a few times. So he was physically abusive. He constantly cheated on her and the marriage lasted nine years. Some of the most talented people are real sons of bitches, I'll tell you. Most of them, they usually are. Like, I don't know. It's it's an interesting. It's it's hard to be. It's it's hard. It seems to be hard for a lot of people to be extremely talented and just like Humble. okay, <laughs> right? Mentally, like you know. Yeah, because part of it is to get to that position, you just have to have, you know, like a manic sort of drive too. Like a yes, yeah, so you have to be really driven. It's like and it's, very these, confident. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. I mean. Very rarely. I mean, the the posers that wind up in these situations, they 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 stick around for like six months or a year, and never hear from right. them again. Mm-hmm. But there are people that remain famous from the time they're like twenty, yeah, till all the way to the day they, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like that's that's just like a specific type of person. Plus, to be famous for that long is just I can't I can't yeah. imagine being famous for a day. I know it's like really uncomfortable. Yeah, that to thought. think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm with you. Yeah, I have no problem, like, performing in front of people, we have no and that's problem, fun. We have no but... problem meeting up with a listener. You right. know why? Because yeah. it's not creepy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's right, just... because we're not famous enough to have creepers. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So, yeah, yes. I mean, uh-huh. we're, we're, I, I would rather stay there for the yes. rest of my life than, like, think I had to get a fucking ring door cam. and. We are you know, big and... enough to have found many very nice people. Yeah. And not big enough to have found all the creepers right. that yeah. <laughs> crawl out of the woodwork yes. after that. <laughs> you know, there's been a couple, but, we, but thankfully we didn't meet them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Musical instruments were expensive in England. Roger Daltrey, so we know he's the mm-hmm. lead singer of The Who, made his first guitar himself. Oh. He borrowed one from someone else and copied the dimensions. It didn't last long because he had no idea about how to attach the neck to the body. Can I tell you, as someone who has attempted to make a guitar, a bass that's hanging up on our wall, um, the neck to body thing is not a a small engineering feat to overcome. Sure it's not. And through necks are virtually impossible unless you have great woodworking materials anyway. Um, Sure enough, it just folded in half a few months after he started using it. He was lucky that he knew a woodworker that watched him build it, and the guy took pity on him and helped him on his next attempt. John Entwistle also had to build his, build his own bass. John Entwistle, of course, the bass player of The Who. John, and John Entwistle uh, famously uh, on the new artist stage at Woodstock mm. 99. <laughs> That's right. That was hilarious. <laughs> or the emerging artist right, stage. Right, right. Uh-huh. 30 years into his career. Mm-hmm. Um, also John Entwistle, one of the best bass players of all time. If you listen to the Who's music, that's where I say that they, uh, the, the Who is sort of a, a, an upside down band. They had a lead bass player and a lead drummer and the rhythm section was Pete Townsend on guitar. There was just a lot of independence going on rhythmically and melodically in the what would otherwise be considered the rhythm section that they weren't necessarily the ones holding down the groove all the time it's just it's just a very sort of upside down structure that gave them a really unique sound and provided for a lot of amazing performances by the drummer and the bass player which is not something that is typical of a band you usually just seeing the idiot guitar player out front like shredding like, you can tell I'm a little <laughs> I'm a bass player you, yeah, <laughs> how do I really say, feel do you have experience with that I actually work with some very talented and very nice and humble and good guitar players so but occa- it's not, not all guitar players <laughs> but, but occasionally there is drums oh my god alright so this is why Skiffle 
was the start for a lot of the musicians involved in the British invasion of America a few years later. Have you ever heard of Skiffle? Uh-uh. So I heard about it in the Beatles story, right? Because right. the Beatles are coming up around this time. All these bands are, sure. right? These are the, the British invasion this bands. This is the first wave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Beatles and the Who are two of the biggest, along with the Stones, right? Some of the biggest British invasion bands. Um, and they all stay that way for their careers, mostly. I yeah. Mean, really. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So Skiffle involved homemade instruments and drew from American blues, country music, bluegrass, and jazz. So it's kind of like a folksy sort of thing almost. They've got spoons, they can use those. (laughs) Um, Most of, many of them played in bands that had a tub bass and a washboard. Sure. Keith always said he never took lessons, but that is not true. He paid 10 shillings per lesson to Carlo Little, known as one of the loudest drummers of all time. And he begat Keith Moon, who is also one of the loudest drummers of all time. Carlo Little was the drummer for Screaming Lord Such and the Savages. Nice name. (laughs) It actually sounds like a metal name, but it's too far back. David Edward Such was doing horror-based rock and roll long before Alice Cooper, but he had limited success. We should listen to some of those recordings if there are any out there. Screaming Lord Such and the Savages. Edward Such dressed up as Jack the Ripper during performances. This is like... Yeah, this is, this is horror, metal. shock rock, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's like this is what Alice Cooper would make famous. Yeah, exactly. That's what Stephen was saying, yeah. Carlo was considered one of the loudest drummers of his day. Keith had been to one of the Savages gigs and approached Carlo about lessons. David Such went on to be the founder of the Monster Raving Looney Party <laughs> and stood in over 40 elections. Can you imagine coming up with the monster raving lunar party? Is that Looney what? party. Looney party today and being like, uh, can't use it, it's already been taken. <laughs> By the Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. We already have two of those. Yes. There's our, well, actually, we have our... one of those and we have the do-nothing party. Yes. Or the sellout party. Yeah. It is important to remember that most of the people of the previous generation Keith would have known were influenced by, there we go, their experiences in World War II. London was heavily bombed, and some bomb damage still scarred the city until the 70s. Roger Daltrey tells a story about how, even in the 70s, his mother would hide under a table during thunderstorms. You know, we talk, we were talking about, sure. yeah. We were talking about how gun violence in the country has become uh, made fireworks problematic mm-hmm. because people can be triggered and into PTSD well, it can sound by like it. A gun. Yeah. It absolutely can. So imagine, yeah, you were bombed multiple times during the war and there's a thunderstorm and you're like, shit, yeah, the, the Germans I'm are coming. Yeah. yeah. I remember veterans saying to me that I was naive because I had never fought in a war. It alienated me from them as I felt they never took anything I said seriously. Keith and the other members of the Who would have experienced the same attitude. All those returned servicemen wanted was a quiet, unexciting life. And most of the kids born around the end of the war had trouble understanding their parents' perspective. That's a good point. This would have influenced the teenagers of the era as they would have found them boring. This is one reason why my generation was such a big hit for the Mm, group. Sure. Uh, Just as Keith was becoming a teenager, the youth subculture was splitting into mods and rockers. Both groups had their own uniform to distinguish them from each other. It's it's very true, like, uh, the London fashion scene of the 60s or the UK fashion scene of the 60s was very specific and very, like, cutting edge and did a lot of um, propagating of some, of, and, and morphing and molding of fashion. Hmm. The mod culture started in London, and its proponents were influenced by modern jazz, ska, soul, and rhythm and blues. Ska was heavily influenced by Jamaican music and had a big following in London. Mods were very fashion-conscious, and the males could be recognized by their tailor-made suits. The women wore bright colors, miniskirts, twin sets, and fitted pants. Imagine, like, also, Twiggy was a big mod model. Mm -hmm. The vehicle of choice was the Motor scooter. The uniform for rockers was leather and denim. Sure. The color of choice was black. Musically, their influences grew directly out of 1950s rock and roll. Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis Presley, and Gene Vincent. Keith was the youngest member of the Who. (coughs) Excuse me. And (coughs) it's 
sorry, and the last member to join the band. The original drummer was far older than the rest of the band and had a family. Yeah, that might... <laughs> my curbs might make things. it a little tricky. Yeah. <laughs> There's a story that Keith destroyed the drum set during the audition for the band. That is an exaggeration. Roger Daltrey said he broke the drum pedal, but that was all that got damaged. Keith used to claim that he was never made an official member of the band. That is kind of right. Uh, uh, things were just not that formal. It's not, that's true. One of the bands I'm in, I don't remember really joining. I filled in and then never and then left. Just, yeah, then it just happened. Yeah. It's not like any of them signed up. It just sort of happened. The group went through several names. I love these stories of like, here's what they were known as before they were known as their name. They started off, oh, they started off as The Who. Oh. Okay. Then they changed to The Detours. <laughs> they took a detour to The, the Detours. Yes. The Who took a detour. <laughs> then The High Numbers. Then back to The Who. The first local hit they had, um, The Face, was released when they were called The High Numbers. <laughs> it's all very confusing. Roger Dolce, it's, it's sort of like metal, where metal songs where you can like oh, swap can out the name yes, of the, the band, album, the name of the album, and the and name the of the song. song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, e- either any combination of those, it will still be the same thing. Mm-hmm. Roger Roger Daltrey admits that the tune was a copy of a song by Slim Harpo. Okay, so they just ripped off a song. They changed all the lyrics completely. This is also at a time where everybody is ripping everybody off. Yes, very much so. Very much so. The face was a term used by mods to mean getting all dressed up in the mod uniform. I'm not going to <laughs> I'm not going to spend much time talking about music. Rachel is far more experienced than I am in this area, and this is all bad things, not all good things. It's fair. Hmm. All, not all good music. That's correct. Keith Moon never considered the drums as just a way to keep the beat. There we go. And the main criticism of him was that his timekeeping wasn't perfect. It's because he actually was not keeping time, in my opinion. Hmm. Unlike most bands at the time, Keith considered himself a lead drummer. In the same way as most bands had a lead singer. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. He wasn't interested in just sitting at the back of the group being a minor player. There are plenty of people who will argue that John Entwistle played lead on bass. I don't feel qualified to comment. I do! <laughs> and I, I... And I shall. I heartily concur with that statement. In fact, what I'd like to um, play is just a little snippet... A little something, something. Yeah, of The Who. This is um, from Quadrophenia, so it's a ways into their career. But I think the intro just really shows the lead drumming and the lead bass line. Okay. Yeah. That's the bass going on. Yep. Now listen to this. Who's keeping the beat? da da down. That's Pete Townsend. Right. He's keeping the beat. You can hear Keith going off in the background, and you hear Entwistle is playing a lead line on the bass, and he starts super high, and then he gets really down low. It's amazing. If you can ever watch on YouTube or something, they uh, they have some really great footage of John Entwistle playing a, a ways later. Like, they were pe- playing with... Um, Zach Starkey at the time, okay. Ringo's kid, because Keith Moon taught Ringo's kid how to play the drums. Okay. Ringo Starr's kid. Um, and so they toured with him for a while while Entwistle was still alive. And they put a camera on his um, uh, pegboard mm-hmm. up at the very top, you know? Yeah. And it, like, has a view down the strings. And this man, first of all, he had gigantic hands. So he And he was not a picker. He was a finger player. I'm also a finger player. And he, just the de- his dexterity, and it was just like, sometimes he played with all four fingers on his right hand. It's amazing. Yeah. He, he's, he's really remarkable. Anyway, <laughs> back to the script. <laughs> You're right. It's not all good music. Though. While The Who started off as a band that played music for mods, they can't be so easily pigeonholed. They crossed several genres. But if you see pictures of them early on, they totally dressed up mods. So you could see how they started out that way. The start of the breaking of instruments, mm-hmm. <laughs> which they were known for, started off as an accident. The group was playing a gig at a pub with a low ceiling. Pete Townsend hit his guitar on the ceiling and it <laughs> broke at the neck. The crowd went wild. Guitars were just too expensive to smash at every performance. 
There was no way the band could afford to break something that cost so much at every performance, but that was when what the crowd expected as their at their next appearance. At their next gig, Keith Moon got fed up and kicked his bass drum off stage at the end of the last set. The fans went nuts. Of course. <laughs> Drums are not as fragile as other instruments and can often be repaired. It didn't take long before it became a signature move for, for the band. Keith's love of explosions was well known, and blowing up drum kits was a natural yeah, progression when the group say, became more successful. Yes. Well, I'm my guess, I don't want to skip too far ahead here. Um, I'm going to guess Stephen will discuss Woodstock. Mm, but, or not Woodstock, um... Monterey Pop, 67. But if not, we can talk about that too. Anyway, Pete Townsend had heard about the art of Gustav Metzger when he studied art at university. Mm. Gustav was known for the concept of, quote, destructive art, Mm. end quote. And there is no way to tell how much of this influenced the band's destructiveness. Metzger used rubbish, industrial materials, and even acid in his artwork. One of his works, Falling Trees, consisted of 15 willow trees embedded upside down in a block of concrete. It symbolized a world turned upside down by global warming. Mm. In 1967, when the band went to America to tour, they were booked to perform on a live TV show called The Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. Have you ever heard of Smothers Brothers? Yeah. Their performance was supposed to end with fireworks blowing up Keith's drum set. That sounds like a safe thing to do on in a studio (laughs) keith talked to the technician oh no keith talked the technicians into loading extra explosives into his bass drum because the who considered keith's drumming as more than just keeping a beat they had the drum set drum kit set up higher than the rest of the band the bass drum being about level with pete townsend's head (laughs) oh my god i remember hearing about this okay yeah the Who were limp, lip-syncing, right, to a pre-recorded track when the explosion went off. <clears throat> if you look at the YouTube video, you can see the rest of the band being thrown forward. Pete lost the hearing in one ear yeah. due, to his no- due to the noise, and his hair caught on fire. Keith got shrapnel and in his arm, and Betty Davis, who was waiting to go on next, fainted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't know that part. Oh, yeah, that kind of came out of left field, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard about that incident. That's why I didn't yeah. want to mention that. I'm like, mm. I'm like probably get there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Keith's practical jokes have become legendary. The story of him rolling a toy hand grenade down the aisle of a plane probably never happened. Okay, then. I hope not. Alrighty. Okay, this I've heard of. The story that he drove a Rolls Royce or a Lincoln Continental into a swimming pool is probably true, but there are so many variations on the theme, it's impossible to work out exactly what happened. It might have been his own empty swimming pool or a full one at a holiday. (laughs) I guess there's technically a difference, but still. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Barry Whitworm found plastic spiders in his bed. Keith followed up with a barbecued pig's head the next night. Jeez. Uh, I mm, I don't think practical jokers should be encouraged, frankly. Well, the shit like it's just that's that's having way too much time on your hands coming up with all this shit. Right? <laughs> like, just go play your drums more. Yeah, Stop practice. putting shit into yeah people's beds. <laughs> when he was not touring, one of Keith's favorite hobbies was to drive through the local towns with a bullhorn attached to his car. <laughs> He would announce civil defense announcements about invading snakes or tidal waves. One of his quote-unquote public service announcements was that the British government was going to move truckloads of immigrants into the area. He really does have way too much time. Way too much time. He used to drive down to the local pub in a hovercraft. And on one occasion, he, he got it stuck on the railway lines. He managed to get it out of danger before a train came along. This man's a little Uh, off. Yeah. Moon would dress up as a vicar and yell obscenities at people passing by. Okay, that's kind of funny. (laughs) He found a pair of fake female legs that he dressed in, probably mannequins, that he dressed in fishnets and poked out his window. 
He had his chauffeur drive, oh, he had a chauffeur drive down the road while he waved the legs out the window and made obscene noises over the PA he had fitted to his car. This man. Just, yeah, he is like a, a child. He is like a child. Growing up. He had a habit of taking his clothes off if he got bored in an interview. A lot of TV was not pre-recorded, so interviewing him came with big risks. In 1969, Moon concocted a prank with a different Bonzo member, Legs Larry Smith. The latter walked into a British department store, Marks and Spencer, to inquire about the toughest pair of trousers that they sold. Moon would then appear, agreeing to help Smith test the pants, which were promptly ripped in half. But before the clerk could get mad, Moon's limo driver would show up, apparently looking for one-legged trousers. Oh, my God. He would pay for each half and then ask for each leg to be wrapped separately. What the... F- like, he's this... kind of a dick. Yeah. He's, he's getting not funny, but, like, actually obnoxious. Well, I would well, dump it's... this friend. He's not getting there. He's been there. Fair. And then it, he just keeps having to try new things because he's bored himself. Yeah, yeah, I think that probably ultimately that is what it is. He is so, like, either he had ADHD or something so badly that, like, if something ridiculous wasn't happening, he didn't know what to do. Or something. I don't know. Keith almost got himself killed by Mick Jagger after breaking into his hotel room dressed as Batman. (laughs) Moon had climbed up the fire escape. When Mick pulled out a knife, he called out, It's me, Keith! But Mick thought that he looked nothing like Keith Richards! Oh, so he's, yeah. Yeah, it's only when he said, You're not Keith Richards, uh, that Moon thought to mention his last yeah. name. You're, oh. not, you're not Keith Richards. <laughs> you, <laughs> you're not Keith Richards. You don't look like you're, you're 90 years old. You can't be Keith <laughs> yeah. Richards. You only look 65. <laughs> In 1967, the opening act was The Herd with Peter Frampton as lead guitarist. Keith wired up Andy Brown's keyboard, oh my God, with remote-controlled fireworks. He took great pleasure in detonating them randomly while the performance was (laughs) underway. Oh my God, this man. You're in the middle of playing the song and then it pops something and you're like, what the fuck? That's just, like... I'm going to have to put some of this on the other members of the Who and management and to say you got to rein this guy in. You tolerated a lot of stuff that you shouldn't point. have tolerated, yeah. Man. No matter how talented he was, the Who gained a reputation for destroying hotel rooms when on tour, but this was not uncommon. There's a long list of performers from the Rolling Stones to Amy Winehouse, Led Zeppelin famously too. Keith was a little more inventive than most. He bought himself an axe. One of his antics was to unbolt the bed just enough to hold it together, but enough to make it fall apart if someone sat on it. TVs quite often ended up in swimming pools or being thrown out windows. Keith became quite skilled at flushing cherry bombs down toilets so that they would explode on the floors below. Oh my god. He's destroying plumbing systems in hotels. This, no, this is not... This is not, none of this is okay, Keith. (laughs) (laughs) All of these guys have way too much time on their hands. Oh, and here's another reason. When drunk or on drugs, which is probably most of the time, Keith had no fear. In one interview, Roger Daltrey talked about Keith dancing on an air conditioning unit 16 stories up the hotel. I guess it's like one of those window units. Yeah. (sighs) On one tour, he decided, oh no, he needed a pet. He ended up keeping a piranha in a bathtub. He didn't realize that piranhas are tropical fish. Sadly, it was too cold and the fish died soon after. At least nobody got eaten. Sure. That would have been the other yeah, option. That would have, yeah. My God. 1972 was a good year for damaging hotel rooms. Keith broke into John Entwistle's room and urinated on the carpet. He added a bottle of wine to the mix and ate some of John's steak. John took revenge by waiting for Keith to pass out, and then he trashed Keith's room. Okay, so they're all assholes. Keith woke up with no memory of the incident and just took it for granted that he had been the one that did all the damage. Like, everybody was like, it was you. He's like, well, all right. Sure, probably. He was like, yeah, mm. sounds right. 
The same year in Paris, Pete and Keith attempted to drag the mattress of a waterbed out to the lift. It burst as they were trying to lift it off the frame and water cascaded down the hall. Keith rang the manager and complained that the flood had wrecked some expensive clothes. He did such a good job that the manager apologized and moved them to the presidential suite. Keith went on to wreck that room as well. He sounds like a nightmare customer in every possible situation. Yes. And for being someone who came from a working class background to then go on and treat working class people so horribly, that's really shitty. Yes. Like, well, for I'm anybody, starting to really dislike Keith. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've, I've been been disliking him pretty much this whole, like, mm-hmm. he just sounds like a, a child. Like, God. Yes. That, that got loose one afternoon. I mean, I, I understand. On many that, afternoons. Right. I understand that he was treated probably incredibly poorly. Growing up, you know, because of his, whatever his problem was, um, and didn't get help for it and everything. But then unfortunately he also became rich and famous and that's not a good mix. Really not a good mix for anybody. The Who were the opening act for Hermit's 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 and they were all partying together. What Herman's Hermit's Uh, songs do you know? I know a song. Which one? I'm trying to think of how it goes. Just, you know. What is it? All men read the eighth I am. Oh, well, I didn't know that was... Oh, I didn't know that was them. Yeah. I'm thinking of another song. Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. Uh, no, I don't no. think that's it. What other songs? I'm trying else. to think of what other songs... There were semi-novelty band. Yeah. Um, Peter Noon is their lead singer. Let's see. Who? Oh, Peter Noon. Okay. Yeah. I'm into something good. Yeah. I've, famously what, yes. covered by uh, David Cassidy and the Partridge family. Yes. That's the one I'm thinking. Woke up this morning mm. feeling fine. Yeah. Oh, there they they also did There's a Kind of Hush. Have you ever heard that? It goes, There's a kind of hush. Shh. <laughs> I know. Heard that, I know. all over the world. <laughs> well, if it's tonight. A, if it's a hush, how can you hear it? Shh. All over the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Like, if everybody stops talking. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, the Who guys are... Guys <laughs> on drugs. The Who are now partying with Herman's Hermits. <laughs> the booze, girls, and the drugs were plentiful. A big cake was wheeled in with a girl inside. That sounds very 1960s. Or 70s, whatever it is. After she jumped out of the cake, Keith and his friends started a food fight using the icing as ammunition. Oh the police were called and Keith ran away. He slipped on some of the cake icing and knocked out a couple of teeth. <laughs> Ooh. The dentist who saw him that night fixed his teeth without using any anesthetic. Uh. As his customer was so, I love this, this is a beautiful little saying, Stephen, trolleyed. Trolleyed. That he couldn't feel anything. Oh, they didn't yeah. need to give him drugs. Yeah. He had already taken too many. Yeah. The drug taking in the band became a problem for Roger Daltrey. Fuck yeah. You're a singer. You better not drink. You better not take drugs because it will. And you better not smoke. For fuck's sake, don't smoke or vape because it will all ruin your voice. Better not laugh. Better not cry. (laughs) (laughs) Better not shout for sure. Fucking Santa Claus isn't coming either, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he kept saying. (laughs) That's all you could think of was Santa Claus. (laughs) Did you just crack yourself up? A little bit, yeah. (laughs) Oh, all right. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> the drug taking in the band had become a problem for Roger Daltrey. He couldn't take drugs before a performance because it dried out his throat. All the rest of the band were getting wasted every night before playing. After getting so high, they would keep speeding up and it would piss off Roger. Yeah, no joke. Roger got so annoyed that he flushed all of Keith's drugs down the toilet. Oh. Yeah, when Keith found out, he went nuts. Roger's, Roger knocked him to the ground, and the band sacked Roger for fighting. Wow. Uh, yeah, but you're not the who without Roger Daltrey. Sorry, just not. Um, his voice is key. Sorry, Pete, you cannot sing very well. You need Roger. <laughs> um, after a few gigs without Roger, they realized that the band didn't work. Roger agreed that he would come back as long as no one took drugs before a gig. Okay, fair enough. Very fair enough, yeah. you know? On, Because, uh, yeah, playing with drunk people, performing with drunk people, not fun. Let alone drugs. Right. I don't think, I don't, that I know of, I've not played with people who were taking drugs at the time. But God, that would be the worst. 
On January the 4th, 1970, Keith had his driver, at least he had a driver and wasn't driving that's, around fucked yes, up. Because that's what most people did back then. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. not everybody could afford a driver, but man, this is when DUIs like all over the world started to skyrocket. Right. Uh, Keith had his driver take him down to the opening of a local pub. At the pub... <laughs> hey! Yeah. <laughs> Keith! <laughs> At the pub, Keith hassled some of the local skinheads. Uh-oh. To Keith, it was just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but the skinheads saw him as a rich asshole. When they went back to Keith's Rolls Royce, the skinheads started to bash on the roof. Oh. Keith's chauffeur, Cornelius Boland... Jumped out to try and calm the situation down, but Keith tried to drive off. Yeah. Fucking asshole. Just antagonizing. I mean, they're skinheads, whatever, but still antagonizing them and knowing that you can't, you can't I, take I, them I on. Just, I just like how that they're such a new thing at this time that they're just hanging out at a pub opening. Right. Oh, like <laughs> openly. <laughs> who are those? Like, it's, it's like, you know, who are those guys? Oh, they're the skinheads. Like they're, they're kind of new around here. Oh my god, this takes a turn. I feel like I had heard of this, but I had completely forgotten. So, Keith tried to drive off. Bullen got trapped under the car uh, and got dragged to his death. No. Yeah, he killed the guy. Jeez. That That's that's all on Keith. Like, I'm sorry, yeah. that's all on him. Yeah. That's awful. Keith was charged with driving without a license, drunk driving, and driving with no insurance. What?! He was not charged with for, like, manslaughter, at the very least. He pleaded guilty and was discharged without conviction. What? <laughs> wow. No. It was nice being famous. God, that's awful. That is just hideous. Poor driver. And it's his own driver. You'd think he'd well, have I mean, some uh, sense of shame. Uh, I mean, Vince Neil of Motley Crue mm-hmm. fa- famously faced no charge. He killed somebody in a mm-hmm. drunk driving accident. Which you is know. essentially what this is, but... Yeah. But also, how shitty was it of him that he was like, okay, well, I'm going to try and drive off while you're facing down these skinheads. Like, yeah, it's, that's uh, a dick move on top of it. Well, I mean, the guy's probably not in his right mind. He oh, probably, no, he's, he's probably he's not all... ever in his right mind. Exactly. That's why he got in the fucking car and tried to drive away. Exactly. And I think we know what he dies of, at least that's my guess. Mm. I actually am not 100% sure. Mm. I actually thought he died from, from <laughs> driving his car into the pool, but clearly I was, that was, I was mixing up stories, but... In March 1975, Keith produced a solo album called Two Sides of the Moon. Rather than showing off his drumming skills, he sang instead. Okay. Keith may have been a great drummer, but his vocal skills left a bit to be desired. Okay, now. Are we, are we going to be able to hear some of the... Uh, is he the Keith Moon band? Like, who, who is no, he? Or just no, Keith just Moon. solo. Just Keith yeah. Moon. Two Sides of the Moon. Is one of them the dark side? <laughs> They're both dark. <laughs> no, Two like the sides. Pink Floyd. Oh. Well, that's that's the that's the line where it comes from. Uh, they're all the dark side, <laughs> right? That that's what that was one of the what. What track was it that was like? There's a voice. There's a narration that says talking about the dark side of the moon. It's all the dark side. I don't know. Or something. Oh my god, I haven't listened to Dark Side of the Moon in forever. Anyway, Spotify does not know of oh. Two Sides of the Moon. Anyway. <laughs> it, turns out, it turns out it wasn't a classic. Yes, not. Uh, the recording was produced by John Lennon. Okay. What? <laughs> who had been fired by Troubadour for heckling a Smothers Brothers performance. <laughs> what the hell is going on? I don't know. <laughs> what, is ha- what is happening in, in the 1960s? Who's this is 75. This is oh, March 75. 75. Who's in charge of America in 1975? <laughs> this is in America. <laughs> Who's in charge of the world? Uh, the crew spent a fortune on drugs and booze while they worked on the record, and their partying slowed production down. No. Oh, at least the, the people involved in Roar weren't also raging <laughs> drug addicts. Can you... Oh, man, like... They'd all end up dead. That's what it would have happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they were already provoking an- animals when they were sober. <laughs> exactly. And trying to break up fights between them. Yes. One song was a cover of Don't Worry Baby. Moon was a huge Beach Boys fan. You know, Don't Worry Baby. Oh, I think I know. Yeah, I know that one. Um, one of the bands he had been in before joining The Who had done cover songs of surfing music. The reviews were pretty bad and the album was a flop. Okay. 
By the time The Who started working on their new album, Who Are You? Great album, great song. Keith's drinking was affected by his ability to play drums. Was affecting, sorry, other way. <laughs> Keith's drinking was affecting his ability to play drums. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like, his ability to play drums was affecting his, <laughs> his drinking. drinking. Well, I mean... <laughs> hey, guys, this whole <laughs> musician thing is just getting in the way of my drinking. Well, God. that's kind of how it turned out, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. The rest of the band told him he needed to stop drinking if he wanted to stay in the band. Oh, now you're drawing a line. Uh, at Like a decade in. Keith had tried rehab before, but it had never been successful. One time he had been kicked out after being caught drinking aftershave. That is a major alcohol problem. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that what Betty Ford wound up doing? Did she? I think so. I don't know that story. I know she was famously, like, the Betty Ford clinic right. and all. I think she went there, too. Like, she started really? drinking rubbing alcohol and mm, shit like that. Mouthwash is another common yeah. one. Or cough syrup and stuff. Yeah. He was used to taking handfuls of drugs. Oh, my God. <laughs> just, can you, like, just visualize that, like. Just like a bag of drugs is in front of you. Who knows what's in there? Even like a palmful of drugs. Oh, right. And then, yeah, and you don't like, know what's in there, how like, much. I'll just take a handful and, yeah, I'm guessing that's how he goes out. Although I don't clearly, I don't really remember either. I think it is an OD, but let's, let's yeah. find out. It's certainly heading that way. Oh, yes, and we're, we're getting there. This time his chances of success seemed higher. He had a girlfriend who he had been with, or who had been with him for four years, Annette Walter Lax, Loved him very much, and Keith felt the same way, and the threat of losing his place in The Who would have been a big motivator. Keith's doctor prescribed heminivrin to him to help during the withdrawal process. This drug is a sedative and a hypnotic. (coughs) Keith didn't go into rehab, so there wasn't anyone monitoring exactly how many pills Keith was using. Annette figured that the drugs must be safe because otherwise the doctor would have kept a closer eye on him. I can understand being like, well, it's the doctor. Talk about a normalization of deviance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, The the pills, the the guy with the handful, Mm -hmm. the really unstable looking. Here, 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 hand over these more pills to him and don't tell him how much he should take. (laughs) They must be fine. My God. Okay, now we're getting into it, I think. Keith slept most of the morning of September the 6th, 1978. Heminivrin, or however it's pronounced, causes forgetfulness and drowsiness. Keith was popping a pill every time he felt the craving to drink. Oh, geez, which was probably like every 30 seconds. The drug seemed to be working, and Keith had cut his drinking drastically. Paul McCartney was having a birthday that night to celebrate Buddy Holly's birthday. The Beatles were heavily influenced by early rock. American rock, so. McCartney had purchased the rights to Buddy Holly's songs. Oh, wow. And he was going to have a premiere screening of the Buddy Holly story after the party. Hmm. Keith didn't really want to go, but Annette really wanted to attend. Uh, uh-huh. Do you do you know who stars in the Buddy Holly story? No. You you've never seen that? I've never seen the Buddy Holly story. I feel like you've mentioned who it is before, but I can't think. It is a uh, Gary Busey's That's breakout performance, you told me and that. it really is like I was know. Was he good in it? Yeah, it was a pretty good movie. I know he was nominated. I'm pretty sure he was nominated for a Golden Globe. I think he was nominated for an Oscar too. Huh. But that is his breakout role. How odd. Oh my! How the mighty have fallen. <laughs> so even so, this story somehow involved Gary Busey. Yeah, it did. I think everything really comes... Every disaster comes back to Gary Busey. Starting in 1978. Sounds about right. Yeah, it is a good... It's probably fucking free on YouTube. Yeah, maybe. It's it's an old enough movie. But Mm -hmm. I remember it being pretty good. Um, So Keith didn't want to go. Annette really wanted to go. So they they called Keith Steeler and Keith took some cocaine. <laughs> yeah, like, just like the way you said it was almost perfect because it's just like it was it's like just a, a just handful of pills and some more cocaine. Why not? Like if this was Tuesday, by the way. Oh yeah. <laughs> the next day. No. Yeah. When they well, that's the problem. I don't think there's gonna be a next day. When they got to the party, Keith and Annette ended up being seated next to Paul and Linda McCartney. Keith limited himself to two glasses of champagne. Keith told so at this point he's got this um. His sedative and hypnotic in his system. Who knows how much? Uh, you're right. He's ha- he's done coke and he's had two how, glasses. Who knows of, how much? Yep, and he's had two glasses of champagne. Uh. That's horrific. Um, Keith told people he wasn't feeling good, and he was talking about marrying Annette. 
Okay. I feel horrible. Have I told you that we're, I'm going to marry this girl? <laughs> like, oh, man. Unfortunately, Annette didn't know about this until after Keith's death. The cu- couple left partway through the movie. Keith couldn't sit still and wanted to go back to their apartment. I'm guessing that's the Coke. Back at their flat, Annette cooked lamb cutlets for Keith. It's, it's hilarious, like, some of the details that are available about certain things. Sure. And, yeah. um, and they went to bed to watch a horror video. After watching the abdominable Dr. Fibes, or Phoebes, I'm not sure which. God, I wouldn't want some shitty movie to be the last thing I saw. Right. I want it to be the Real Housewives, of course. No, yes. okay. <laughs> or the the Love is Blind live finale, as it right. will be tonight. But hopefully go. I will not be dead after that. <laughs> as, as, as it were. <laughs> yes. All right, so after that, Keith Keith took a handful of Hemineverin and fell asleep. So mm, more sedatives. Jeez. Just three and a half hours later, Keith was awake and hungry. Reluctantly, Annette cooked him more lamb cutlets. Oh my god, just what is in his stomach? This is horrific. Well, lamb cutlets on top of the ones that he had before, on top like, of the cocaine. A whole and bunch the... of lamb. Uh, lamb. So just like a bunch of lamb, cocaine, <laughs> this sedative and hypnotic, and two glasses of champagne are in his stomach. That is so fucking weird. And they went back to bed. Keith had started snoring, so Annette took a pillow and decided to sleep on the couch. This actually has some similarities to the Jim Morrison sure. death. You know, sort of like... I was there, but I wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, being nearby and, yeah. It was almost 4 p.m. Wow, when she got up to check on Keith. She found him lying on his stomach and saw that he was not breathing. He, she rang his doctor, who called an ambulance. Keith was officially pronounced dead at 5.50 p.m., but he had been dead since 9 o'clock that morning. Oh, God. He had 26 hemineverin tablets in his stomach. Six pills had been absorbed into his system, and that was enough to kill him. My God. So he had quadruple the number that needed to kill him. He was just 32 years old. Man. Well, I'm kind of surprised he made it that far. Yeah, it was given the, it gives the new... I was thinking this might have been a 27 club, because I couldn't remember. I right. Yeah, no, it's I'd... five years after, yeah. but not, not significantly much more. And uh, he he brings new meaning to the term burning the candle at both ends. Like, yeah. he's burning the candle at all possible surfaces. <laughs> all the ends. All the, all the angles, all the ends. But, uh, His doc, I know. His doctor, Jeffrey Diamond, didn't know Keith very well and didn't realize that Keith took pills by the handful. He had instructed him to take one take one if he felt like drinking. So he didn't know that he had to tell him, but don't take 26 at once when you feel like drinking <laughs> times 26. Like, uh, it probably never occurred to him to tell him that. Well, and no one told Keith that he shouldn't take more than three a day. That feels yeah. like a very important instruction. Yeah. As far as I can tell, no action was ever taken against Dr. Diamond for allowing a drug addict and alcoholic to have access to 32 pills when the fatal dose was just six pills. That is wild. And that is the story of the death of Keith Moon. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's how it, that's how he went out. It kind of, it makes perfect sense. Like, it really does. It's ironic that what really actually killed him was pills he was prescribed to stop drinking which would have killed him yeah yeah like you said burning the candle at both ends he was gonna he was gonna die mm-hmm. one way or the other he already killed somebody yeah so that had already that ship had already sailed this, this is uh is, is also another example of um um you know why you wouldn't ever want to meet your heroes like yeah can, can, like just imagine like just imagine being around a person like this. You couldn't be. I know. It would be, it would literally like being, being around a child. Yes. It would be horrific. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I could not do it. That's yeah. for sure. Like, I'm not, just slightly obnoxious people annoy me. Like mm-hmm. this guy is full time, like mm-hmm. doesn't know how to not be obnoxious. Right. Yeah. That's his, <laughs> that's his baseline. Yeah. Is being obnoxious. So there, yeah. yeah. There's no way. Like there's just no. Yeah. That's awful. Great drummer. I mean, oh, yes, amazing one of the best drummer. ever, but man, like, horrible human being, it sounds like. I'd rather be a talentless good person. Yes, absolutely. And just You're not a... talentless, though. I am. 
not. You're not. Don't do that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, just I didn't know any of this stuff. I just knew him as a. I knew he was like drummer. a little jokester sort of person, but this is but not e- a little jokester sort of person. Everybody was doing those kind of things to an extent at that time because we're talking about like the birth of the rock star. You yeah, know, and, tr- and the and birth the, of the uh, the mythos surrounding right, the rock star. Because yeah. you have. Rolling Stone is coming out at this time, so they're mm-hmm. covering and giving a mythos to this whole, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. some people felt the need to live up to that. Mm-hmm. He just took it to, like, there was not an extreme that he, that was too far for him. And the problem is a lot, <coughs> and this still happens, but people who are, like, on the cusp of their fame at a young age. Yeah, that's when it's just, yeah. Like, really... Like, you know my thing, I don't think people should drink until they're 25, because that's when their brains are mostly done developing, but, like, people shouldn't get fame like this. Actually, people shouldn't get fame like this, period. But, like, you need, you're, you need to be set up for, for success for it to even be possible not to destroy you. Yeah, and none you of know. these, none of these people are. Like, the, no. I mean, this industry is not made for you know, you can have a long career and retire retire yes. in Florida. Like got your like, pension. Here's your yeah. pension plan. It's, and it's, man, you got to get in, make as much money as you can, and hopefully you make it out. And uh, better to to burn out than fade away and all that, or yeah. live life to the fullest because you only get to live it once. But yes. he did not live it to his fullest no. at all. Well, if 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 to the fullest meant like be a fucking asshole, then then yeah, he came pretty close. <sighs> yeah, <clears throat> but uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's just it's yeah when it's you're shitty. when you're on when you're on when you're on <laughs> such a level of fame. Mm-hmm. I, Nobody's I telling you no, and that's nope. the problem. There's not a single person telling you no. Otherwise, uh, otherwise uh, the person that you told, guess what I'm gonna do? Yeah. I'm gonna put um, uh, spiders in like my yeah. neighbor, you know, <laughs> fake spiders in my and uh, a pig's head and all. Right. Yeah. Like that person. If they were if they were around somebody that was a good influence would have said uh, no you're not gonna do that mm-hmm. uh, you're gonna go to bed <laughs> like you're gonna go to bed look, you're gonna they, lie on your side right they literally needed like a like a nanny yes uh-huh. <laughs> I mean really yeah yeah he is a child yes. yeah uh-huh. I mean yeah yeah I I wish there was like a um a job that you could get where your job was you were hired by all the people surrounding famous people to tell them no about something but there the, might be. the people yeah, around the famous be. people don't want to say it so they have to hire like a no somebody hit man. yeah i would like to be the no hit man <laughs> to be like hey, no put that put that as an ad in variety and let's see what happens <laughs> right <laughs> i will tell your client no for a million, for, I will tell for you, a million dollars a yes, month. Yes, I will tell your client to go fuck themselves. I will tell your client that their ego hey. is bigger than the fucking universe, and I am here to bring them down yeah. to their knees until they are weeping for their mothers. You might be onto something if it doesn't already exist. It might to an extent. An but, emotional uh, hitman. But uh, if we hear about this, like if this happens, if I see this on like E a month, <laughs> a year from now, we're going to sue you. Yeah, we have uh, yes. recorded yes. proof. <laughs> yes, you stole our intellectual property. All you have to do is cut us a check and we'll find <laughs> keep doing your thing. Five mil will do it. Ah. Uh, yeah. There we go. There we have it. Good job, Stephen. That, yes. that was Thank you very amazing. Much. And boy, what a weirdo. Well, I mean, at this point, we've done a fair amount of famous people's deaths, and this is he's this one is of the jerkiest. One. He is. It's <laughs> probably the worst so far. Well, the most overtly, right? Because yeah. we've still had people who have beat people up. And yeah, that's true. Done some shitty shit, um, and certainly people with drug problems. But, I, and obviously, like he had there, there was something wrong with him mentally. Clearly, like normal yeah. people don't do this. No. Either mentally or nor, uh, like mentally, um, no, mentally, even mentally, like. 90% capable people don't act like yeah, this. You know? exactly. Yeah, exactly. So he was, uh-huh. yeah. He was probably traumatized and had untreated mental illnesses or whatever. And it was just not addressed, obviously, the time and the place and everything. And then he was enabled 
through people around him and through just a lifestyle and through circumstances. His career. Yeah. I mean, it's why you hear of like, um, I know you like your chef shows and stuff like that. Yes, but, Top Chef. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but that's why you hear of not even famous people just yeah. in that world. Mm-hmm. Chefs are fucking maniacs. Like that's I'll, the reputation. For I'll sure. just tell you that. Well, that reputation is, is in your earned, experience from is earned. Yeah. You know, I mean, there. It's just when you get to that like level of that business, like you're just on a different level than other yeah. people, than most other people. You know, so. And your behavior is reflecting your belief in that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's a very long way of saying I don't ever want to be famous. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'm fine with our couple thousand listens an episode. There we go. That's Me too. <laughs> yeah. Me too. All right. Well, once again, thank you very much, Stephen, yes. for your one of your numerous. Oh my goodness! Hand- such a steady contributor. Yes. It is so helpful. <laughs> we'll just hand the show over to you one day. Exactly. Yeah. We'll retire. Yes. <laughs> it's just it's you. The you can. Show. You can do the capitalism episode. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So that was the death of Keith Keith Moon. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.